Hello and welcome to Equipped, a ministry of Trinity Baptist Church Norman, helping you engage our culture with the truths of the gospel in every area of life. My name is Curtis Winkle. I'm here with Ryan Polk. Hello, Ryan. Hey, man. So today we are going to talk about a book. Ryan, what book are we talking about? We're going to be talking about The Imperfect Disciple by Jared Wilson. Okay. So who's Jared Wilson, Ryan? So Jared Wilson has served as a pastor. He was a church planner in Vermont, and he currently is on faculty uh, at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, oversees their communications and does a lot of stuff uh, with the writing and and things like that uh, at the seminary. And and a prolific writer. I think he's, gosh, six, seven books. At least, yeah. 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 Um, So why? So we like this book. We do. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Um, I've got a three-point scale for everything, and this is a three on my three-point scale. So what, what did you what did you think were the strong points of the book, Ryan? What's... Well, I, I, first of all, uh, Wilson's just a gifted, phenomenal writer. Mm. So he's taken something that would seem pretty everyday, talking about discipleship, following Christ. And I think he just puts a lot of... Uh, when the, it's just easily identifiable, the illustrations, the thoughts, the struggles, the hardships, the maybe misconceptions, yeah. uh, are things that, uh, are, are pretty easily identifiable with a lot of folks. And this, yeah. this kind of hit me a little bit. Um, we're, we're going through this with a group of guys yeah. and as we've discussed it, there's what, six of us and you've got everything from church staff to insurance to business entrepreneur, all, all kinds of different backgrounds. And yet there seems to be kind of an idea where each of these guys are resonating with this book. Um, so I think that's what ma- that's the strongest part of it to me. Yeah. A lot of what Wilson does well, I think is, is get, uh, get honest and get real about some internal struggles and things that, that men think about in women. And, right. and so the, the subtitle of this book is grace for people who can't get their act together. Yeah. And so coming from someone who's been a pastor, who's, um, has a leadership role at a seminary. That's a very refreshing thing to hear. That that's okay. That that I my spiritual growth is um, not a straight line to the to the left. It's it's uh, or to the right. It's right. Um, it's jagged, and I mess up. And so he opens the book uh, pretty quickly. He gets into after kind of sharing a little bit about his story, um, growing up in Albuquerque, and feeling like there's just some. At least what he took away was was I have to give this this sales pitch this um, I got to close the deal and get some people into the kingdom. That's that's what I'm supposed to be about uh, as a Christian. Well, we would affirm that we say yes, but but we understand what he was taking away from it is something that we don't want to pressure people and say you have to share the gospel with ten people this week or you're on God's bad side or something like that. And I yeah. think he pushes against that pretty well. Yeah, I do too, and not just with evangelism. You know, I feel like he he really hints on hits on this idea of, I think even one of the quotes in the book is that the point of the Christian life is not self improvement or doing things, but it's it's Christ likeness. It's being transformed into what Christ has for us. And yeah. so, because um, again, it's kind of like the more we're in a relationship, if if we feel like God's leading us to share the gospel with three people a day. Then we should embrace that. Do it. That's right. Doing it, trying to keep up with everyone else at church, or to try to earn God's favor, shows that we've got a kind of a deficient view of, of what walking with God looks like. Mm-hmm. And you know, we 
I don't know how much we want to get into this, but there was there were just several things about his upbringing that, that reminded me of some things that I kind of picked up on in church uh, in my upbringing. And so um, here he, on page 17, he says, the gospel of Jesus was there and every sinner heard it. Every sinner that is except those who'd already heard it. The idea was that grace was for Christians too. Uh, the idea that grace was for Christians too was somewhat of a foreign concept. Grace was Christianity 101. Once you had God's grace, you had to move on to bigger things, to what we call deeper things, things like charts of end times and pledging abstinence until married. And so what he's getting at there in kind of a tongue-in-cheek way is that the gospel is is A to Z of the Christian life. And so it is a deep well, um, and it's everything that we need for, for life and godliness. And so um, sometimes we can treat it as the entryway or the gate to um God's good grace and to uh, living righteously, which it is, but it's also um, sustains us along the way. Yeah. And it's, it's like, we'll trust Christ for our salvation and then fall back into depending on us to keep it. And uh, he mentions, I think there's a quote in there too, about that. Our obedience is not the basis of our relationship with Christ, but it's the overflow of it. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's the grace that allows us to obey. Um, so I think that's a, that's really good. Yeah. And so he moves into kind of Romans seven and, and what, what, you know, and, and I know there's different uh, commentators think a little differently on that, whether that's a, a believer or not, but he pairs it with Romans eight. And, um, and I thought that was a really helpful way to look at it. You know, this Paul just feels like a wretched man at the end of, of seven there. And then, and then there's Romans eight and there's no condemnation now. And so um, I think that's the, the tension that we feel in the Christian life when we, we can beat ourselves up um, is not always inappropriate to look at our, our sinfulness. Um, we need to, as he says, take a look under the hood and, and see what's going on, take a break from our phones and from our, our technology and, and, and um, get alone with the Lord. And, uh, and usually there's some foul things going on there. And so we need to bring that before the Lord. So he talks about this idea of introducing the gospel to every corner of your heart. So you've got, as you slow down, as you um, look under the hood of your, your soul, you're going to see bitterness. You're going to see pride. You're going to see uh, the Lord will convict you of things that are there. Um, fortunately, a lot of times it's in an incremental way, but, uh, but introducing the gospel, like, Hey, you can be humble. Hey, you don't have to trust in your wealth to provide for you or in your job to, to be your security because God's done that it's finished, you know? Yeah. Um, so that was, that was really helpful. First couple chapters there. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, along those lines, sometimes we look at Christianity and what we really want to do is minister to people that already have their act together. It's a lot easier. And so we don't, we're almost surprised when there's mess in our lives and people, other believers, and yet that's exactly what the scripture teaches is that becoming like Christ is a process. It's not just a, a one fail swoop kind of deal. I mean, it takes time. And as long as the Lord leaves us here, he's always chiseling and working to make us more like Jesus. And so it shouldn't surpri- surprise us that we have a ongoing battle with our flesh and, uh, you know, have to have to have to lift the hood and take those looks. Yeah. Yeah. So as he moves forward, I think this is chapter three, he gets into this idea of beholding. So the chapter is called Stare at the Glory Until You See It. And he has this definition of beholding. Curious what you think this, Ryan. He says, 
uh, on page 55, to behold something is to hold something in our vision to let the weight of it rest on our mind and heart. You think that's helpful? Yes. Very much so. What does that look like in a Christian's life? Well, I think, you know, like, I think it's in that same chapter. He says that when our vision is constantly occupied by small things, we are tempted to yawn more at the glory of God. Hmm. And so, you know, and, and here he's just kind of walking in the footsteps of other people, especially Pascal, maybe Lewis, you know, who talked about us just being content to to gaze or behold lesser things. And I think that's one of the real real battles of Christianity is that we have a, we've, I don't know a good way to say this, but we've numbed our satisfaction to where it takes less and less, which means that we're looking in more and more worldly places to satisfy when the creator of the universe has given his son and we can know them and uh, we'll choose something else. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we've sort of trained our, our desires in a way that's, that's in line with, it's downstream, right, of, of yeah, culture. We're, we're going absolutely. along with, yeah, he says uh, a little bit later on page 62, um, uh, we're living in a consumeristic culture where we're inundated with all kinds of media and now even carry that media in our pockets along with our gospel and find ourselves pulling out that media more often because we sense there will be newer, more vital, more exciting, more entertaining, or more applicable to our situation somewhere among its endless clicks and pages, while the gospel seems so one-note familiar. Our screens give us a constant stream of things to look at, but very little to see, hmm. which uh, was really a, a helpful idea for me. There's a ton to look at. There's always some new notification or some new um, new story or, or what did so-and-so, you know, do online. Um, and, and companies, I tell my kids, my, my students this all the time, there are companies working around the clock to keep you looking at that screen, to keep you... Um, on that phone. And so you have to uh, push against that and realize that's part of the world's um, culture uh, right now. And, and I think a, a stand Christians need to make uh, has to do with how we treat technology. Do we treat it prudently? Do we put it down for long periods of time so we can slow our souls down, look under the hood and, and uh, rest and enjoy and delight in the things of God and not just the here and now click, click, which we know intuitively. Like we know that should be more satisfying. Mm. It's like the God of the universe has revealed himself and we say, but but what about Twitter? Mm. And we know that just sounds absurd and yet it becomes kind yeah. of ingrained in our habits. Yeah. So moving forward, he um, kind of gets into, and, and I think this is one of the, the helpful things Wilson does too, is just kind of maybe reframing some language or giving us uh, a little different vocabulary for things that we do um, and for things that the church has talked about for centuries. But um in terms of the means of grace, so he talks about uh, prayer. He has this phrase of, of um, spilling your guts before God, the rhythm of spilling your guts, which I, I think is a very um, visceral and and but also helpful way to do it. You know, Keller um, has this good thing about how we can take, we don't have to be fearful about taking anything before God, many of our emotions, any of our feelings, the things that we're thinking, he can handle it and he knows it's there anyway. And so, um, anyway, I, th- I thought that was a helpful picture. Like whatever's going on in your world, you don't have to put on your, you know, your Sunday best to get before the Lord and let him know and, and talk to him about it. Um, that's the nature of a, of a relationship. And right. so thought that was helpful. Um, what other, do you have any other good quotes, Ryan? Well, I just think he helps us to understand like 
some of the, these things that uh, that we need us to see as distinctions, like as far as like discipleship and discipling. And I think for a lot of times the church and I don't think we do this in a bad way, but uh, we we want to just program programize everything. And he just really helps us understand that that's really not possible, that uh, discipleship and following Christ is a lifelong quest. Uh, it's not self-help, but it's becoming uh, like Jesus. And uh, that's just a process. I like one of the things he says there about, you know, he, he asks the question, like, do you know why there are, are a thousand fresh self-help books every year? And it says, and he says, it's because they don't work. So they keep writing these new ones. And, and then a little bit later, it says too many church folks are expecting their pastors or their churches to complete them, to virtually be Jesus for them. Um, and so, Man, I, I think that presses against an instinct a lot of us feel. Well, uh, if, if my pastor or my small group leader, my youth minister is not um, just knocking it out of the park right. every sermon. And the if the hour I spend under their uh, teaching every week is not providing whatever that is, I feel like is, is going to help me grow spiritually, then this is the wrong place for me or they're not the right person for this, yeah. whatever. Not realizing that all those people in those positions have to lift the hood and deal with the messes they're, in their own life and need God's grace and the gospel just as much. That's yeah, that's right. right. And so when we walk in thinking of ourselves as consumers or spectators, then put on the show, the that's show right. does not meet my needs. Entertain me. I change the channel or yeah. I whatever, complain. Um, yeah. And that's a, that's a heavy thing for our pastors to bear. So I think that's a really, uh, a good push he gives um, in the church section to, to walk alongside and pray for and, and walk with our pastors. Um, yeah, really, uh, really helpful book. Yeah. It's a super encouraging deal too. Like he has a quote in there that says in the end, as in the beginning, it's not our good intentions or even our good deeds that will get us out of the muck of ourselves. It's God's rescuing hand. It's it's his enduring announcement over all of us messed up creatures. I love you. That changes everything. And just the encouragement that, you know, that's, you know, that's just Wilson's way of saying Romans five, eight, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, I mean, he loves us and we're not trying to earn that love. It's already been demonstrated in the cross. And sometimes, I mean, that's the encouragement we need to move forward. How would you recommend this book? Like, are there certain groups you think that would benefit from this really well? That's a good question. So uh, we're going through it with a, a group of men right now. I think we're a third of the way through it or so. And that's been helpful just to talk yeah. through and, and see what, you know, which different parts stuck out to different men. Um, small group, maybe? I think it'd be a great book for small groups. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it'd be a great small group book. But I read it myself and, and took yeah. away several things as well. So. We definitely commend it to you. The Imperfect Disciple by Jared Wilson. We'll have a link in the show notes. Uh, what else? No, I, I just think it'd be a really spiritually encouraging book for anyone who is willing to dive into that. All right. We'll see you next time on Trinity Equipped. Trinity Equipped.